Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Penang Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Tijong, a culture writer and critic. This week we are discussing sex education and Columbus with a U, a show and a film about the coming of age of teens, some younger, some older. Yeah, that was kind of, I, they do both have that in, in some way, quite yeah. differently, but not too bad of a stretch this week. Uh, this, I don't think this so. connection thing we're doing. Indeed. They do have very different tones. It's all a whole different vibe. But you know what we will do? We will find that fucking connection. All right? <laughs> Arbitrary or not. Um, yeah. Exactly. How's your week been, babes? This week has been uh, very full, I will say. Not necessarily in a, in a fun way, but... Oh, no. Um, what happened? Well, we've been dealing with, like, a, a minor wildlife problem. We've had, like, uh, squirrels that were nesting in a window frame they chewed through and what um, yeah it's a big thing in like any the suburbs or anywhere there's like kind of more more of them than there are of you yeah basically more or less (laughs) yeah yeah. yeah, and since our house is kind of old and we haven't really taken care of it in terms of like regular maintenance or anything uh yeah the squirrels they know where the weak like wood is to chew through and so we had like a mom that like uh was taken away and then when she was taken away by animal control we realized or actually we discovered that she left behind three babies oh shit which were thankfully like old enough to be able to sort of like run around and survive on their own we think but yeah uh very but you split up a family i know i feel i'm like this is like what it feels to be a villain in some children's like storybook Uh, you just orphan three of them they're gonna find you too like you know how squirrels like i kind of feel like they are vindictive animals maybe yeah i i hope they they understand what we are doing. I mean, the the window area that they were at is sort of like right behind our TV. So uh, mm. in the process of like constantly running up to the window to see if they had like gotten caught in the uh, cages that the animal control set up for them. Yeah. Uh, our TV got knocked over. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Fucking broke. No. Um, that's okay. I like... Not the precious box. Yeah, it was cool. Especially since this is like, we just got it about a year ago. Uh, oh, fuck. So, went went to the store, got a, got a new TV like in the store, like in the olden days, and yeah. placed an order online, went to pick it up in the store, and it did not mm-hmm. fit in our car. But we got yeah. it in, just the trunk could not close, but... It'd be like that. Just go slow. You know? I know. We went slow, and we, we got it home eventually and it was Excellent. a big ordeal and my mom blames the squirrels um but i she honestly might be right there it's it, uh, maybe a little bit but you can't put everything on their shoulders yeah um, that's true but yeah, yeah how how's your week going Bellin? uh definitely not nearly as eventful as yours i've honestly just been enjoying the way that there's a bit of like there's a nip in the air now and i'm really happy about it i'm happy that the weather's getting a little bit colder yeah and i know i know i know there's like a whole fucking divide about people that are pro winter and people that are pro summer but let me tell you something fall is where it's at it's it's a it's where it's at b it's gonna be the thing that we have less of as the years go by (laughs) yes Oh, that's so. True. I will cherish it from this point onwards. It's just I. I don't know. Like Bake Off is back. Really, I think the the best season. Yeah, and I know that like yeah, winter sucks, and there's like loads of pictures. Like people are trying to use the pictures of like sleet and ice oh. and sludge as being like you know. Do you, do you miss this? But I genuinely don't 
remember it being like that last winter and i don't know whether it's because we were all cooped up and didn't have to walk around in it Mm -hmm. um but i just kind of feel like these last two winters have been very light work yeah and they will be lighter still i guess yeah like what's that um like simpsons meme it's like this is the the coldest summer that you'll ever have in your yeah for the the rest of your life yeah yeah Yeah. so So i'm enjoying it it. i'm excited i really am excited to wear more clothes oh uh, yeah I am excited to just snuggle up, and I am excited to, I don't know, like, have multiple cups of tea a day. Yeah. I'm, like, counting down the days until, like, I do my first shepherd's pie. I'm so fucking excited. <laughs> oh, it's uh, a start it, of a good thing. It really can't be beat. <laughs> and now that we're in the swing of things, uh, what did you watch this week, Bellin? So, this week I watched Sex Education. It has been the internet. It's been a buzz. And I'm really excited yeah. about it just because I've been a sex education fan since day one, babes. Like, <laughs> uh, so for those that don't know, it's on Netflix. It is created by Laurie Nunn. It's an hour long teen comedy drama. And it's about, I guess, the awkward sex lives of teens and the pertinent adults in their lives. Uh, Moordale Secondary School, which is located in the fictional town of Moordale in a definitely fictional sunny England. Uh, they they film it in Wales, but um, oh. the, let me tell you, I don't know what their lighting budget looks like, but I'm sure it's through the fucking roof because <laughs> they are beaming those panels in. Um, so the reason why the internet is a buzz is because it just released its third season about two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And it's just, I don't know, like it's it's a buzz because I think the the fans that have been around since 2019 are really happy that it is consistently great and mm. introducing people that haven't heard of it before. Like all teen comedy drama, teen anything, it entails a ensemble cast. But I guess the loose protagonists are Otis and Maeve, um, who... The premise is that they accidentally start a sex clinic business uh, where they give sex advice to their peers in exchange for money. So for Maeve, it's a money thing. Like She needs the money. She's from a working class background. And for Otis, he is kind of, he has a huge crush on Maeve. And he also, his mother is a, I guess, she she is a therapist and it's kind of something that he wants to pursue as well. So Otis is played by Asa Butterfield. Emma Mackey plays Maeve. There's like a running joke with Emma Mackey looking like (laughs) three other actresses that look exactly like her. But she's good in her own right. Um... Shuti Gatwa is Eric, which is uh, who is Otis's best friend, and none other than Julian Anderson as Jean, who is Otis's mother, the aforementioned therapist parent. So, before we get into any of that, do you remember any of your sex ed? And what does what does sex education look like for a teen in Midwestern America suburbs? Oh. Like, what was your understanding not, of sex? Honestly, it was not very comprehensive. Uh, mm. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. I feel like it was basically, you know, in middle school, maybe we got, maybe we had like a, a workshop or something or a class or basically on like pregnancy, like teen pregnancy, yeah. where it was more or less like, don't get pregnant. Like, yeah. Uh, the only safe sex is is abstinence. Kind of yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Interesting. And then in high school, I think there was a required like 
health class that at one point or another probably went into sex and pregnancy and stuff like that but yeah honestly i don't remember a thing which means that whatever it was probably it was like vague and basically nothing yeah and like intentionally confusing probably inaccessible yeah yeah remembering my my stuff is like inner city, <laughs> inner city London. Mm-hmm. Primary school, we had a video, and I'll okay. never forget this video because it was fucking ridiculous. Um, of a family just kind of running around naked, <laughs> okay. and the whole th- the whole thing was like getting to know your body. Oh, like, right. So yeah. it was like it, it, the, I, I don't, I have no idea. Like the mum and the dad were just going up. They, I remember them going up the stairs completely naked already. And getting in the bath and just like talking about penises and vaginas and what that is and what they're called and it was a lot. I remember just like a lot of giggling on our end, yeah, as kids, because um, I went to a mixed school for my primary school and then uh, my secondary school was a girls' school. Mm-hmm. And for the sex ed there, I remember learning how to put on a a condom on a banana. Mm-hmm. I remember like the, the whole thing was just like STDs and pregnancy. You have to practice safe, safe sex. Yeah. Because I feel like, especially in my secondary school, they just knew that there were some kids that were having sex. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main thing, honestly, the, the the first things that I learned about sex, which were all wrong, by the way, were, <laughs> were, were from my peers. So uh. there were loads of girls that were just having sex. Like I remember there was a girl that got an abortion when we were 12. Jesus. Yeah, man. It's... <laughs> fucking east london like people were just having sex and like a lot of the girls had like older boyfriends which obviously now we know was like definitely pedophilia yeah yeah but i remember like one time this one this girl was like this girl slapped the butt of this white girl and remember like we're not in my school white girls were in the minority or like white people right Mm -hmm. so they, they remember them slapping the the ass of a white girl and being like your bum's getting big. Have you been like, has your, has your man been giving it to you up the ass or whatever or something like that? And then I was just like, oh, does it mean that if you do doggy style or you do anal that your butt gets bigger? Is that what that means? And then, and like, that was, that, was, that was like the understanding and the whole thing yeah. of like getting loose. The more partners that you have was also like just the truth. And mm. the, the whole point of that, I think is just because like these girls were probably learning that, learning it from their pervy keep creepy older boyfriends that were all obviously like mm. fucking either teenage boys or young adult men Jeez. and um and they would they because they didn't know anywhere they were the ones yeah. that would like i guess shepherding that sexual experience for them anyway the reason why i'm talking and asking you about this is because i think it kind of puts us in the perspective of what the teens on this show are going through and i think it's pretty accurate mm-hmm. so you have started just started watching season one right how do yeah. you how do you feel about it so far? Yeah, I'm only uh finished with 3 episodes, so I have a quite a way to go to get to uh season 3, but I'm liking it so far. I I think originally when it came out, I like read the premise and I was like, uh teens like sex ed yeah uh, I don't know, not really for me. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm like watching it at your recommendation, uh it's really funny and kind of entertaining and a little bit its tone is totally different from what I imagined. Yeah. And it's actually turning out to be a fun watch, which is yeah. a pleasant surprise. Yeah, it's definitely funnier than you think it's going to be, for yeah. sure. Some of the way that the stories of the different characters go is a little bit soap opera-ish. Um, and you'll find that, especially like towards the tail end of the seasons. But the way that the characters are developed and the way that they are, there's just like a really firm grasp on 
the different types of people that they have have on the show and like what they essentially bring to the full picture mm-hmm. of the school of the student body of the issues that they're trying to talk about basically but yeah you mentioned the tone the tone is actually my favorite thing about it like mm-hmm. i don't know any other show especially certainly not a teen show or a show yeah. about teens or a show about teens because this is technically 18 plus mm-hmm. um but obviously <laughs> teens are watching this like oh of course yeah, yeah. but um I don't know any other show that strikes that perfect balance between like, I guess, raunchiness and silliness at the same time. Cause it is like a romp. That is yeah. kind of how it feels. Like it feels like just the fun side of sex and they've captured it in a way that is like, it's something that we all do. Um, let's get over it. There's no scandal in it. Let's just get into the thick of it with the emotional side. And it's just it's really intelligent like it, it it comes off especially the way that it looks it comes off like it might be a little bit too zany but it's actually it does get to the point where it does talk about some serious issues and yeah, yeah i mean a lot of it i think with the tone especially i think a lot of it has to do with obviously the writing i think laurie nunn is a great writer she is someone that she's technically british but she grew up a part of her teen life i think she was 14 or something when she moved to australia so like you already know you already know the type of humor that 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 entails essentially like great humor great humor like australia like just the british commonwealth in general not counting canada i'm so sorry canada but like (laughs) like you know the uk a lot of the british isles ireland um i would say australia all have like this doesn't take itself too seriously type of dark yeah. comedy strength. I I like that part a lot, which is it's very rare for for teen shows. Yeah. And um yeah, but more more than anything, I think the tone is owed to the way that the show looks. So, mm-hmm. if you if you want to explain as someone that is brand new to this, um mm-hmm. do you want to describe that maybe to someone that might have never seen it? Sure. I mean, it's so interesting visually and, you know, stylistically. It's almost like very anachronistic. Like you're like, what time period is this set in? Because you yeah. could be- I could believe it's like in the 80s and the 90s. But then you see mm-hmm. some reminder that it's actually probably current day. Like you see like the, the, the smartphones, you see the way people, I don't know. It's like both very uh, old, but very current at the same time. And just like very richly sort of you know decorated and styled and from the interiors of the houses to the what yeah. people are wearing yeah uh it's a really interesting sort of just like grab bag of of everything yeah and to give a bit of context into that uh when laurie nunn was pitching the show around to netflix she created like a visual bible which a oh. lot of a lot of showrunners do this when they're pitching shows a lot of people creators for films mm-hmm. as well like visual bible is pretty standard it's essentially like how you want the show to look mm-hmm. um and she pulled in a lot of depictions of teen tv shows and films so it's like she had images of like john hughes movies which is basically like for example the breakfast club mm, uh yeah. shows like freaks and geeks films like 10 things i hate about you mm-hmm. and i just i love it because it's like it brings about that sense of nostalgia but mm-hmm. i think for like for kids like for for teens right now it's a fun time i think it's like a, a visual fun time for them mm-hmm. but for those that are older and for those that did grow up on these movies for those that say for example were teens in the 80s <laughs> um i think it's just communicating this like 
this messaging to me anyway this is kind of how i took it was that this is evergreen like whatever mm-hmm. these teens are going through they went through it in the 80s they went through it in the 90s they're going through it right now yeah like mm-hmm. sexual confusion is just something that you have to go through as a teenager mm-hmm. like raging hormones <laughs> no insight or foresight because you're not wise enough at that point yet mm-hmm. um but you're just trying to figure out and like hobble your way into I guess, uh, sexual awareness, hopefully, but just into your bodies, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just, I think it's really, really cool. Like, I think that there is something, obviously, this is not a real town. It's not trying to be a a real town. I think when it first came out, there were a lot of British people that were like, this isn't what a school in the UK looks like. And they're absolutely right. It kind of isn't. But Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't have to be. Like, it's like its own little world. And Mm -hmm. once you buy into that, then you're just like, oh, okay, so we're doing this now. This is just the Mordale thing. And I think that's the strength of filmmaking, of TV making. It's kind of how you use fantasy that edges on reality. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's confident in its world. It's confident in the way that it looks. And so we suspend disbelief and it's a visual treat. It's an escapism. I would love to live in Mordale. I, I genuinely <laughs> would, you know. Mm-hmm. Nos- you know, that that using nostalgia as a tool is fantastic. But I think what it also does it is it ap- kind of approaches wisdom and empathy and exploration of sexual identity in like the healthiest ways I've ever seen on TV. I think one of the mm-hmm. problems with teen dramas like sex is a huge element in a lot of teen tv shows unfortunately it's kind of used as a weapon of shame Mm -hmm. and i mean don't get me wrong that's kind of how it's used in real life too but it's it the, the tv show or the creators will use that as a way of i don't know like secrecy or anything like that like euphoria i think is a really good example of the seediness of sex which is also true it's not to say that it's not but this isn't what they like sex education is not euphoria it's like it's like the anti-euphoria essentially so i i really enjoy it because i think that's really refreshing it's about sex but it's so much more than sex it's kind of how i will essentially describe it yeah it's about like yeah kind of teens learning about themselves and about each other and how Mm -hmm. they basically like connect and communicate with each other and yeah how so much of that could be helped like any anything like anyone yeah. by like uh, a mediator or some therapy or just some knowledge and, yeah. and empathy. Yeah. Um yeah, and I, I like the uh the social aspects. I like the the friendships that they're forming yeah. and kind of the different dynamics in the the school and yeah, how everyone just sort of navigates everything together. And yeah. uh, I think it's really helped especially by some really great uh, essential characters so far at yeah. least yeah uh, definitely. definitely yeah i'm really loving the, do you have favorites i'm really loving the best friend i i guess eric? he's probably everyone's favorite yeah 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 eric who's played by um as we mentioned shooty gatwa he is genuinely like from the first time that you see him he has star quality and i think that's mm-hmm. the thing that really stays with people he is radiant yes just straight up just radiant like he jumps off the fucking screen mm-hmm. um I'm really excited for you to watch his development because by season three, he actually gets like an excellent arc. Mm. Um, I think every single one of the characters brings about some kind of like humanity to whatever it is that they are going through. Mm-hmm. Like the the main strength of sex education is that it just kind of knows what it is. Like I love shows that are basically like, this is what it's about in the title, <laughs> like succession. <laughs> Like for example, like succession is about succession and the mm-hmm. the the ongoing um narrative train that drives it is 
the succession story, right? It's mm-hmm. like simple. And I think with sex education, it's about sex education, but I do think that it's a little bit more than that. And it's it, it strips back and kind of like teaches you as a viewer. And like for those that might not know, I think this is an excellent show for teenage boys, personally mm. speaking. I think they can learn a lot from it. But it's just essentially it's about human connection. It's about healthy communication. It's about empathy. And whether you have one or all three of these things, um, that's what leads to good sex. I'm sorry, kids, but it's true. Like just respect, you know, and like talking and mm-hmm. understanding the other person. And I think the fact that it is earnest in its depiction of that makes it a unicorn of a show, especially yeah. in the landscape of like teenage comedy dramas. Um, and I think the reason why people are fans of it is because they res- they feel that warmth emitting from the screen and just want to feel it um, over and over again. And, I, and this is a controversial opinion, but you know, Ted Lasso is something that a lot of people talk about with regards to this about like the 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 goodness of humanity and like seeing goodness on screen i think sex education has been doing that for about three seasons now Mm. um so i would highly recommend if you want something like that and especially if you're a little bit tired of ted lasso's (laughs) lack of conflict in season two uh there's plenty of conflict in sex education there's loads of things going on it's it's an ensemble cast different types of problems for, for different types of teens but it's all very funny and it is, it is all very earnest at the same time it does not feel like the whole strength of season one ted lasso is it didn't feel patronizing this doesn't feel patronizing either mm-hmm. so i would highly recommend watching this if you are a ted lasso fan and you haven't seen it by the way this just it just got announced that this is uh being renewed for season four a lot of pe- yeah, a lot of people are talking about how this should be the final season because in the trajectory of their school education, oh, mm-hmm. they would at that point graduate. I do think that that should also be the last of it. Uh, but you know me, I love to limit things. I love a limited series. I love knowing when to end things. I think that's like that. There's a grace in that. But I especially want to talk a little bit about season two. Because there was a breakout storyline about sexual assault. You can't really talk about sex without without talking about it. So I'm glad that they mm-hmm. did get to this. But it really captured like the solidarity of even like young women at that age that they can afford each other. There's there's like a there's <laughs> honestly there's a real absence of like slut shaming. There's unquestioning care and support. And I don't know. It's just like it's another instance of the strength of the show. Is that a fantasy? Yeah, absolutely. Like. The whole point of this and the whole point of this alternate reality called Mordale, it just has this like backbone of kindness holding it up and it really does help you understand. Maybe it makes you sad that this isn't, this isn't what the world is like, but it definitely holds a mirror up to our society in reality right now um, and asks us why it isn't more like that. And it's kind of why I want why I want young boys to watch it. Will they? Probably not. Who fucking knows? But yeah, there's that. Um the different performers in this really do make it and i'm curious to see what will happen to them once they graduate from this after season four essentially yeah. like will Could this be basically the next what skins did for, yeah. for so many young thespians yeah hopefully hopefully like it's a bit tough because i think i don't think netflix cares to like cultivate its talent like that like i think hbo is they know how to take care of its performers and stars like they are there is an ongoing like pool of performers that they pick from um i don't know if netflix really does that but we'll see i hope that their agents and managers are working nice and hard 
and figuring out how they can, especially I think Shuti Gatwar, I think he really needs to kind of like come over like many black actors and actresses in the UK. Uh, he is going to have to make it in the US before he, uh, before the UK even tries to recognize his talent. So hopefully, um, I'm excited for you to keep watching it. Um, I do think that it is like, there's no rush. I think it's definitely like a make your way through it whenever you want something a little bit escapist. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm happy for the sex education fans from 2019, from day one. Uh, We are finally getting vindicated and I'm happy for (laughs) us. All right, Jenny, what's on the docket for you this week? So this week I watched a film called Columbus. That is with a U, as Pellin said. This, I guess, maybe is a pick that's a little bit out of the blue. This is a film that came out in 2017. I think it did not really make a huge splash. Um, It is sort of a smaller film, but it is notable for being the feature directorial debut of the video essayist uh, Kogonata, who people might know from his videos about like, uh, for instance, like symmetry in Wes Anderson's films and all sorts of stuff that you probably see floating around on the internet. Yeah. Um, so this was his first film uh, and he also wrote the script for this in addition to directing. So this stars John Cho as Jin, who is the estranged son of a renowned architecture scholar who kind of fell ill while visiting the city of Columbus, Indiana, not Columbus, Ohio, Columbus, mm-hmm. Indiana, to give a lecture. And the other lead is Haley Lou Richardson as Casey, a local high school graduate and library worker who uh, is interested in architecture, but instead of going to college or kind of moving elsewhere to pursue her her dreams and her interests, she has stayed in Columbus so that she can continue living with and taking care of her mom, mm-hmm. um, who sort of relies on her a little bit in that sense. So these two characters from kind of like different worlds, different backgrounds, different age age groups, um, they kind of run into each other, they meet, they start up a friendship, uh, especially talking about the modernist architecture that the city is famous for, and then eventually opening up about their own lives and their complicated relationships, I would say, with their respective parents. Yeah. So that's kind of the the gist of it. And then there are also some minor roles by Parker Posey, Michelle Forbes, and Rory Culkin, who, if he looks familiar, yeah, that is because he is a Culkin. Which oh, he's got I, he's got that signature Culkin DNA. Yes, you really there yeah. really is something there. <laughs> so yeah, I mean the the thing about this film, which is definitely a quiet film, is that it is meant for the eyes. I think, uh, yeah, above and beyond anything else, it is really visually striking, and it is basically what you would expect from a Kogonata person who really has taken to analyzing form, composition, perspective, everything about how a filmmaker uh, likes to shoot scenes. Like this is basically right on the money for something like that. Yeah, and I had no idea also that Columbus, Indiana, was famous for modernism had so many beautiful examples and it kind of gave me a really nice newfound appreciation for the beauty of modernism yeah um yeah i don't know what are you what are you liking about it so far Pellin? so what yeah i agree i think one of the things that was interesting 
my husband's kind of into architecture and, oh, yeah. and, and designers, like furniture designers and whatever. And he already kind of knew about Eero Saarinen. Um, mm. and he was mm. when, cause he, that's a, he's like a Finnish American architect mm-hmm. who's also designed furniture as well. And, um, if you don't know him, he's the one that did the TWA, um, mm-hmm. back in the day. He did the, uh, the arch in St. Louis. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was cool because he was kind of telling me about wanting to go to Columbus, Indiana. Oh. Uh, like, yeah, but it's just, it's funny because it's like, what the fuck are you going to do there apart from just right. go there and then leave? <laughs> <laughs> but it is definitely like, don't get me wrong, I feel like Columbus, Indiana should use this film as a part of its like tourism board yeah. so that people actually come because it is. Totally. A, it looks really pretty. It really does. I want to um, go there now, yeah. Yeah, let's go. Let's go stay at the inn. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, that inn looks incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, I I love films that take or use different artists or, like, films about art is one thing, but it's, like, the love and appreciation for different types of art yeah. through characters. I love them. I think there's just this, this nice little, like, circle jerk that's happening that is always... <laughs> is always re- <laughs> Like I appreciate an artist, yeah, because it's all the same. I don't know. There's just there's just something that moves you, right? And to do it's, that through yeah. the lens of something like film, which is also another medium of art that moves you, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of nice. It's like this weird little meta conversation that you're having about creativity. So yeah, yeah, it's really tender, and you can tell. You know, it comes from a place of love and and inspiration, and like the muse, and yeah, um, yeah. So I I do appreciate a lot for the. This film for the the visual aspects, the the focus on this architecture. There, there are a lot of wide shots um, where you get these kind of imposing physical structures, and then you know the small dot of a character uh, sitting in the center off to the side. And yeah, yeah, there's a lot of great use of negative space. And I'm quoting, I think, a an interview where Koganata said that um, to him and explaining like how he approached this. He said, "Architecture is the structuring of emptiness," mm. which beautiful yeah. very deep um, absolutely true and then he kind of uses that as a way to go into human emotion as well mm-hmm. um through the characters which are really aside from the visuals you know there's not so much plot so a lot of it happens through the characters um and these two central characters their lives and how they happen to intersect to this particular uh you know strange summer and yeah. how they start to affect change in one another um partially through their their different lives but also their shared interests in in architecture and in in art in all these kind of things yeah so for a film to like kind of hinge so much on a character the characters have to be very strong and Mm -hmm. i think in this case in my opinion and i'd love to hear your opinion on this I think one half the equation pulls this off more than the other. Yeah. I think Haley Lou Richardson oh, yeah. is very good in this. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing her. I mean, she's been coming up a little bit, but she was great in Support the Girls, where mm-hmm. she was also sort of this very warm, but also vulnerable character. She just really is very good at imbuing her characters with all this sort of life. Yeah. Um, so she's really good at this, but I think John Cho is a little bit more of a mystery. I agree. Um, yeah, which is like, he's very handsome in this. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, man. Of course. <laughs> like, as always, but I don't know if it's, it's partly the way that he holds himself, but also partly the way the character is written. Yeah. He's so guarded. He's older. 
you know, he's not even from this place, so you don't see much of his uh, connection with the town or his, like, his, you know, inner life or his job or anything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Casey is much more grounded here, partly because, you know, as a character who is from this town, she kind of is, and she's written that way, whereas I think John Cho's character, unfortunately, falls a little bit flatter. I agree, and it's funny because... I thought the dialogue between them was really stiff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the parts where Haley Lou Richardson's character is kind of like monologuing were great, yeah. but the the back and forth interactions between them just felt really like, oh, I, I don't know if that's how people talk. Yeah, and you know, I, I agree with you now as you're saying it. I'm thinking back and I'm like, yeah, so much of it is kind of like, oh, question, then the other response blah 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 and then ba- and then another question and yeah. just like very it is quite stiff now that you yeah think. yeah, yeah. There, there's like one po- i don't know i don't mean to nit- nitpick or anything but there is one point where it kind of flows okay and it's when Haley lou richardson's character is casey is um reveal something about her mother yeah and like they're they're kind of standing and talking over the car mm-hmm. um that worked but the rest of it like especially how they meet and i don't know and i agree i think that I think John Cho's character is like, <laughs> what is it? And I don't know if maybe Coconada has like a weird relationship with his dad or like whatever, but like, I feel like female f- filmmakers write men better than mm-hmm. men. Um, and I don't know if it's just we have the power of, of, of observance and <laughs> uh, we see what's going on there. Um, whereas I think for men, it's just a vault that they don't know how to approach or open or unpack. Um, yeah. but the ultimate daddy issues. Yeah. The ultimate daddy, like completely like to the point of like <laughs> creative inertia. And I think mm-hmm. this is like an example of that where you do, you really don't get a gauge on how this guy feels about his dad, apart from the lines of exposition where he kind of explains it. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, th- I thought that was like really missing, and I think that kind of like probably would have helped fully form John Cho's character a little bit more, so you kind of understand so. what's going on. Yeah, yeah, or like you know maybe at least show him in the room with his dad, like in the hospital yeah, room. Man. Like we don't get that at all, which is yeah, that that's so key, um, especially when you compare it to how Casey, she gets scenes with her mom, you mm-hmm. see the love they have for each other. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, John Cho's character is just not, uh, he's not given his, like, what he deserves as, as a yeah. character, a fully fleshed out human. Yeah. Here. Um, the scenes with, the, sorry, the, I just wanted to say the scenes with oh, him yeah. and, the scenes with him and Parker Posey were great, though. Mm-hmm. Like, at the bar, and then later on in the hotel room, I mm-hmm. kind of, he, he felt less like John Cho playing a character and more like the guy. So yes. I, I like I those so points. But yeah, so Yeah. No, no worries. And I also like kind of wonder if that has to do with something I'm thinking about, which is mm. the age gap and basically yeah, yeah how re- like different relationships with each other, whether friendships or or otherwise. And like just like how when John Cho's character is talking with uh Casey, you know, the, you can feel the differences. You can feel uh-huh. where he is feeling a little bit more paternalistic or he's giving advice yeah. but also there's kind of like a weird their relationship is quite puzzling to me mm. in, in many ways yeah I, but i i don't i didn't mind that so much because i feel like it's mm-hmm. probably puzzling to the both of them too probably um but could never tell like whether and i guess that's part of the point because you know parker posey's character also sort of questions that she's like do you like this girl like like yeah. her like her yeah 
And that is the the question, I guess, of running throughout so many of the interactions where it's like, is this dot dot dot? Yeah. Like, like what what is this? Yeah. And I, I, I the thing is, like, I didn't mind it because I think mm-hmm. for men of a certain age, um, and I think men in general, I think there is this feeling of like they they don't know how to differentiate like paternalism with attraction. Yeah. With especially if they're straight because it's like right. they they feel like men when they take care of someone or they feel like yeah. men when they are the savior or the guide guidance or the wisdom or whatever and they mm-hmm. they like to feel depended on and that, you know, makes them feel more manly or whatever. So I didn't mind it so much because it was like to me I was like given the chance he'd probably fuck her. Mm-hmm. But will he do it? No. Because I think there's still a part of him that is worried that she thinks that he's an old man. But I yeah. feel like if she went in for the kiss, he would definitely kiss back. But I like, yeah. but that's what I mean. It, not to kind of like strip it down to that like simple level, but I like that in betweenness because it is. There's no way that it's like true to life in a way. It's true to life. There's no way she's not attracted to him. <laughs> there's no way. <laughs> um, because yeah, you, that ambiguity the, sort of makes sense. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good way to think about this. I guess one other thing I'll say I liked is that. Again, like we get more of Casey's storyline, we get more of her mm. her sort of like richer like home life. I I did like very much how it portrays this complex relationship between mother and daughter. Yeah, which you know that I am a sucker for that. Yeah, um, I think we both are. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and especially here, which is actually very uh, I guess relatable for for me at this this period of time also. Right, right, yeah. Like the feeling of like wanting. And needing uh, to stay and protect a, a mom who is kind of more vulnerable, yeah, in like a reversal of like parent-child relationship. Like here, we we see and we learn that her mother used to be an addict, yeah, um, and had you know problems with th- the men that she would choose to to go out with, and mm-hmm. it kind of colored a lot of their relationship in uh, Casey's teen years and growing up. So you know, balancing the 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 want and the and the need to to do that to stay here and live with and accompany your mother but also yeah at the same time you think like well is it this expense of my own life my own future like what yeah. am i sacrificing for this and right for so long like casey she insists like every time people ask her, she's like i really do love staying here mm-hmm. i love my mother I, I love living with her it's yeah. it's a safe place for me and i and i love this town and that's totally true. But also at the same time, you see like how she sort of convinced herself that any opportunities outside of this cocoon were either false or they were tricks or they're not really real. Yeah. And so she, it's both like, it's like multiple truths at once. You can love and want to stay in a place with, with your mother in your home. Yeah. But also at the same time, you're kind of lying to yourself about what is keeping you there and what's preventing you from go out going outside. And what what that means in terms of how much value you put on the progress of your own life, right? Yeah. Because there is a stagnation in that. There is like, you have to be the constant in a relationship like that. Yeah, it's tough. I think like, for for her to have that kind of emotional journey is very accurate. Like the Mm -hmm. amount of that, the moments in the film where she is cooking with her, eating Mm -hmm. with her, and then like sleeping in the same bed, like next to her. The film does not shy away from the fact that that is extremely intimate and special to mm-hmm. to have as as a kid, like that kind of relationship with your parent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're getting older, our parents are getting older. The time that we spend with them is getting 
less and less basically um yeah. so you can see you could the film doesn't try to convince you that she has to go it kind of yeah. makes you see it from her perspective where it's like you see the value in that you see the value yeah. in spending time with your parent like that why would right. you like a, yeah of course you would love that yeah yeah like you said two truths can exist <laughs> um she can definitely grow into the architect that she wants to be um but she could also she could also just stay and be the the dutiful daughter and and yeah. take care of her mother for the rest of her days and both yeah. both of these things are worthy that's the thing right. like, that's yeah. the tough thing about it is like you can see that these both of these things are bringing her joy and bringing her happiness um but that's kind, yeah. that's kind of not how life works out and i think that's like the whole point of Jin um as mm -hmm. a character so i like that I, I really like the, the pregnancy of the scenes that kind of stay with you and, and then you see like the the day-to-day -day life of especially Casey. It really captures like living in the same town and kind of doing the same thing yeah. every day. Yeah. Which I, I mean, I love, I love the, the sort of small city, small town uh, kind of day-to-day -day movies yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Like I, as a, as a genre, as a vibe, that is also something I'm, I'm very into, I guess. Yeah, for, totally, totally. For clear reasons, but yeah, yeah it, overall, it's it's definitely not the most exciting film around. It's very quiet. There's a lot more about like how the exterior and the interior, like they they sort of play off each other in this film. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But I found it, you know, interesting enough. I found again Haley Lee Richardson's performance to be quite compelling. Yeah, she's great, I, man. Yeah definitely want to watch um i like the visuals i like the music by by hammock mm -hmm. I like the atmosphere uh you know all of that made it uh a worthy like hour and 45 minutes or something for me uh, yeah it is uh vod or you can watch it as i did by getting a free trial for topic on amazon video yeah random but it works yeah so. it works um yeah. I, I guess i'll have to f check out what else topic has in their in their stock since i yeah for the next like six days yeah since i really i yeah. don't know anything about this so yeah, yeah i'd say like uh, especially if you're an architecture head uh give us a watch for culture notes this week we thought we'd have a bit of fun a whole bunch of stuff has been happening um, this week, but we mainly have been thinking about this Gorka article that was written by Sarah Hagi about which normal, it's called literally, the title of the article is called Which Normal Guy Celeb Will Get Pratted Next, as in Chris Pratt. What does this mean, Jenny? What does getting <laughs> pratted mean? Well, getting pratted is, you know, the, the trajectory of a a dude. He goes from kind of like, a very normal guy, maybe a little schlubby, but definitely very cute. He under he goes through this like Hollywood machine, and he turns into this ripped, uh, <laughs> possibly like steroided up, um, just like action figure in preparation for his like uh, next big break in Hollywood. And yeah. so we saw this with Chris Pratt. Obviously, we saw this with John Krasinski. Kamal Nanjiani. Yeah. And then, yeah, there are a whole list of, of candidates for who this could happen to next. Yeah. Um, I will say, I don't think Kamal Nanjiani was as successful as the other two. <laughs> um, Maybe after, um, what's the movie? Eternals? <laughs> Is that what he got ripped for? 
Yeah, yeah, that's what you got ripped off. Maybe after oh, Eternals, we will see maybe, what maybe, happens there. Maybe, maybe, but it was definitely a bad day for Asian men that day <laughs> <laughs> when those photos came out. Um, yeah. all, all my Asian male incels were just fucking fuming. Yeah. Um, the the girls were not thirsting, not after Mr. Kumar. But um, <laughs> yeah, this is this is funny to me because it's obviously like a recent phenomenon. Um, this is not something that our great actors of the 60s and 70s had to worry about. Like, Al Pacino did not need to get ripped. Mans was just fucking fine <laughs> as hell and, like, just getting ripped off the coke. So, this is definitely something that is because of, I would say, superhero movies. I think they mm. are to blame for this. But so, Sarah presents a couple of options for us, which we will read out. We've got Bo Burnham, James Corden, Jake Johnson, Paul Dano, uh, Jesse Plemons. Tim Robinson and Jason Sudeikis. So, out of this pool, who do you think will get pratted, and who do you think will absolutely never get pratted? <laughs> I think the most obvious to me is uh, Jake Johnson. Like, mm. or it's kind of surprising actually that this hasn't happened yet. I feel like I know he was kind of en route to that path, but it kind of mm. got stalled. Maybe it, it just didn't happen for one reason or another. But he is the one who sort of strikes me as like. Oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. Jake Johnson. Uh, what about you? It's interesting that you say Jake Johnson. I think he's definitely got the capability for it. I also would love for him to be more famous than he is right now. Yeah. Um, I don't know what's going on with him and his agents and his managers, right. if they are even trying, or if maybe he's been auditioning and just not getting roles. Or maybe he just, you know, he likes where he's at right now. And I guess that maybe could be a possibility. Maybe he does. Yeah, he's a comedy guy. Is there anyone here that you think definitely will never get pratted? Well, let's see... I honestly, Paul, is it Dano or Dano? Dano, right? I don't know, whatever. <laughs> um, Paul Dano, yeah. I'm like not so sure about. I think he's just yeah. like, he's kind of a thinking man. and Oh, totally, yeah. I see him also like, he likes being behind the camera, obviously. it's Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen for him. Yeah, he's like a criterion head. Do you know what I mean? The yeah. criterion heads do not get ripped. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I think Jason Sudeikis is probably going to get ripped. Oh, he is. Okay. Yeah. That is also, that makes ex extremely makes sense to me. Um, he's basically yeah. already showering in the public goodwill that basically is like, he's primed to do whatever he wants to now. And you know, whatever he does, people will be like, oh yeah, good for him. Yeah, good Good for their potential muscle structures uh, <laughs> whenever that day might come. But I think for the most part, especially someone like Jesse Plemons and Paul Dano, I don't see it for them, but just because they, the whole the whole point of them is that they play that type of guy. Mm -hmm. um, someone's got to play that type of guy. Like if everybody we, gets ripped, what are we going to do? Like, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, we, we got to have some averages in there. Yeah, man. And also shout out to Ayatsi. Um, so obviously this union, they are uh, calling for a strike authorization vote, which would enable them to strike. Um, this union is made up of so many film and TV workers mm -hmm. who are not like the the big shot, you know, writers and directors and, and producers and and yeah. uh actors of course these are kind of the the people who get things done um because they are imperative to the production so yeah pellin yeah. yeah do you mind explaining a little bit more why they are sort of in the midst of uh, potentially calling for a strike yeah so any kind of tv or film that we watch is made up of hundreds uh of crew members for the most part 
and it's uh, it can range from people of varying degrees of importance in terms of rank. The requests of uh, of this union are extremely pressing, especially now because they have been overworked for quite some time, for quite some number of decades. But especially now that there is a wild increase of productions going uh, being greenlit because of streaming services and streaming platforms and just this need and hunger of just putting content out constantly. And what's been happening is that they are essentially overworked to the point of exhaustion, to the point of even death. Mm-hmm. Um, there is uh, an Instagram account, of which we will link, that has been collating all the personal stories of IATSE members, people in, people in production, just kind of talking about working, I don't know, anywhere between like 14, not even 14, way more, but like 16 to 24 to 48 hour days where they have like no breaks. Or if they have them, they have like a three hour break or a four hour break. You know, they are unfortunately on productions like somewhere like LA where it's like an hour and a half drive to get home, but they haven't slept for like a day or two. So then they end up being exhausted and uh, crashing their cars. There are, there are people dying of heart attack exhaustion, but all they're essentially asking from the studios and from the higher ups that basically control the budget is give us time to rest, have reasonable hours and pay us more because you have the fucking money. That's kind of what it comes down to. But I say all of that to say, um, this is really important. I think as viewers, I think this is something that we need to be aware of. These are the people that make the shows that we love. And the it's essentially made off the backs of hundreds of very, very underpaid, overworked people. So huge shout out to the movement right now. I really hope that it works out. If they do end up striking, it does mean that a lot of our shows are not going to be in production. And that's fucking fine. Uh, because as long as they get what they want, uh, we will all be happy. So that's us this week. If you are watching anything that we should check out, as always, uh, email us, criticismisdead at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, you can check out criticismisdead.substack.com for extended show notes, including all these links and extra stuff. Um, please give us a rate or a view on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice, five stars only. Um, please, or say something nice about us or whatever, or tell a friend about us. Um, and as always, thank you so much, uh, and see you next time. See you next week, guys. Bye. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelin Keskin Liu and Jenny Jijang. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Luther.